On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about Doc Rivers bringing Eric Hughes back to be an assistant coach on his staff. Nah, I'm just kidding. The Sixers hired Daryl Morey to be president of basketball operations. Let's get into it. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Been a, a weird day, man. I, I did not expect to be doing a podcast with you tonight. Not and expect to be doing two podcasts with you on a Wednesday night. But the news of the day warrants it for sure. I mean, this yeah, it is does. Um, this is crazy. I guess if you haven't listen to well I guess if you if you haven't listened to it there's probably not too much of a reason to go back and listen to it um but Rich and I did do another podcast over with the athletics breaking news section so we will overlap some of that that was only a short podcast we'll get into a little more depth here but the Sixers hired and this was first reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN <clears throat> quickly confirmed by every other basketball writer national and local the Sixers have hired Daryl Morey as the um President of Basketball Operations. As the president of basketball no, no operations. No VP. No, no VP. No grand executive. No <laughs> ridiculous. No. The, the prez. Yeah. No. The president of basketball operations. That open slot that the Sixers have had since Brian Colangelo left town. This is a doozy. And a doozy for a number of reasons. Look, Daryl Morey is somebody who has been linked to this front office or this uh, ownership group before. They reportedly had interest in him back in 2018 in the spot that eventually went to Elton Brand being promoted and the collaborative front office, which Brand admitted didn't work before saying he was now getting full power while leaving the door open that they might hire somebody if that opportunity came about. But the Sixers have had interest in him in the past. Uh, That interest was rumored again in the fall when the Sixers started revamping their front office. And then a day after he parted ways with the Houston Rockets, the Sixers hired Peter Dinwiddie and Prosper Karangwa to be their scouting director and their um, second and, and Elton Brand's second in command. And that was really the wording that was coming out at that time was that Peter Dinwiddie was going to be the second in command. Well, now things have completely changed. And sort of the guy that I think a lot of people wanted the Sixers to pursue is now in Philadelphia. And this is ties everything in almost poetically in that Sam Hinkie's second in command gets a chance in Philadelphia to undergo a radical rebuild, gets fired right when or parts ways with, um, was going to be demoted and underneath Brian Colangelo, right when the Sixers were about to really see some of the fruit of that process. Things go sideways for a couple of years there, and now they bring in Sam Hankey's former boss to sort of steer the ship back into a into the right course. Look, how, how do you want to get into Daryl Morey and his background? I guess I guess we have to repeat some of that, right? Can't assume everybody listening listened to the break news or read our article over that The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat. That $1 promotion is still there. You can get access to the, what, 2,600 or so words Rich and I have already written about Daryl Morey tonight. Do it. But if you do it, it's so, like, Rich wrote, we joked the other podcast that Rich wrote an article um, about Dinwiddie and Karangwa. You can get background information on them. That's worth 50 cents. Yeah, this who, article on Daryl Moore is, is worth the other 50 cents. It's a good deal. 
Who cares that they might be like the seventh and eighth people in the front office right now? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it really is interesting. We'll get into that. Um, yeah, you should do a little background on Daryl. Yeah, I mean, so obviously he was hired by Houston in 2006. At that point, he was the assistant GM. The plan at the time was for him to eventually take over and become the general manager. That happened a year later when he was promoted in 2007. Before that, he was a senior vice president of operations with the Celtics, uh, where he worked with Doc Rivers, who was the head coach at that time. That was pre-winning uh, the, the championship, but during that era. Since joining the Rockets, he had a 640 and 400 record, with which is a 61.5% winning percentage, the second best in the NBA over that span, bested only by the Spurs. The Rockets over that span completed 77 trades, which is the second most in the NBA behind Sam Hankey and the Sixers. Well, the Sixers mostly in those most <laughs> of those trades co- coming during Sam Hankey's tenure. 75 of those from 2013 to 2015. No, I'm kidding. That's that's a little too much. It feels but, like it. But it, it felt like it. it. But I think it was. I think the Sixers over the last over that tenure have completed 78 trades and the Rockets 77. And those are the top two teams in the NBA. Uh, he has advanced to the conference finals twice in 2015-2018, losing in heartbreaking fashion in 2018 when Chris Paul blew out his... Was that Achilles? No, not Achilles. Hamstring. Hamstring. Yeah, hamstring. In game five, when they were up three to two, never got to the big game, certainly never won uh, the ultimate game. If it's the ultimate game, then why do they play it again next year? But he has been close, but never gotten over the hump. And I think if you're a Daryl Morey detractor, or maybe an analytics detractor, and sometimes the two go hand in hand, you are going to, that, that, that is the first thing you are going to run to. You know, I think there is. A lot of people that are going to compare and contrast him with Hinky for obvious reasons, both Lan Elix, both from the Houston Rockets um, front office and that era. I think they are vastly different people. And I think their styles and personalities and management styles are different. Just because they believe in the usefulness of analytics and numbers does not mean they are the same. But it is super interesting that this is where the Sixers went to. And Elton Brand, after saying, we're good with our analytics department. We need more basketball minds. Just a few weeks later, they hire an analytics person, an analytically minded GM, really the poster child for the analytics movement to be over him. It's real interesting. There's a lot of different angles to this, but it was a, uh, it was a shocker for sure. For sure. I guess the spreadsheets did not gang up on everybody or, or at least not enough to disqualify Daryl Morey from being in the running. Because yeah, he, he is the he is like the godfather of NBA analytics. He is, you know, even if maybe he wasn't the first person to do it, he was the first person who really brought it to the mainstream and has pushed, you know, the, the three point small ball style in Houston over the past couple of years. Um, to you know, some people might say pushing it to the limit, but you know, yeah, taking it as far as any team has, it's. Uh, it's certainly going to be an intriguing fit. Like I always thought it was would be interesting if Hinky got another job that didn't require like, you know, a full tear down and three year tank, yep. which the Sixers did at that time. Now, obviously Maury is in a different spot because he has been given the two superstars or whatever, the two star level players that Embiid and Simmons are. Um so to me, like the question is 
how does he build differently? Like, he's not going to play the exact same way he played in Houston with Harden taking step-back jumper after step-back jumper in isolation situations. But, uh, yeah, I just think from, like... If Ben Simmons did that, if Ben Simmons tried to play that game, what do you think, the Sixers score 60 points a game? Yeah, I don't think fit. he could. I don't think he could do it. I mean, no. I mean, he does like fadeaway jumpers, but they're unfortunately from like eight feet, not uh not not thirty feet like Harden. It's uh yeah, man. It's like super interesting. I mean, there's so many different ways we can go about this. Like, what will he do with the roster? What type of style of play um will the Sixers employ? And like, the, I mean, what type of relationship would he have with Doc Rivers? Who you know, they do know each other, but again, we're talking like 15 years ago, they worked together in Boston a long time ago. Well, the, the reports were that he was before he had officially left Houston. He was like, that was sort of his candidate for Houston's open head coaching job. So you wonder if he is on board with this high, like maybe if they had hired, let's say more, gets let go back in September and maybe they still come to the same conclusion. Maybe, and, and that would be my other question, like, what was this process like? Because, I mean, like, if you're just, like, stacking up, hire the coach, hire the lieutenants in the front office, and then hire the president of basketball operations, you wouldn't even give Elton Brand that title when he was running the show, technically. I mean, to, not, to hire not normal, not normal. the yeah. most, yeah, the most important person last is, I mean, that, there's no other way to say it. It's It's weird. Now... Is there a chance that maybe Maury, who it seems like for a while, has known that uh, that he was going to leave Houston? And sometimes word travels pretty quickly. You know, Tillman Fertitta even said that he thought Maury was going to work for an East Coast team at some point in the near future. He didn't say it was going to happen in two weeks. But that certainly, <laughs> you know, that certainly would make sense maybe if he knew something about it. Um so what happened there? How does he fit in with the front office? Like, you know, what what is the dynamic with Elton Brand? Who, like you said, I mean, it's it seemed like he was running the show. You know, like hires Doc Rivers, hires Dinwiddie and Karangwa, and now he's the number two. You know, we're told that Dinwiddie is the second in command. He's well, not anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, and and now there's this interesting or maybe part. Maybe he is. Maybe Elton. I don't know. Who knows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a great point. The the Philadelphia 76ers, who knows? But <laughs> what I will say about this, and like, look, as somebody who, you know, people accuse us a lot of being negative, and I don't think that's always fair. I think we're trying to be as realistic as possible. And I, you know, sometimes I've been wrong for being a little more positive on this team. Like, if you listen to about a year ago uh, with the preseason <laughs> yeah. predictions, for sure. So, hey. It's not all the time that I'm I'm wrong for being negative. Uh, this is a really good hire. I mean, there's just no way around it. You know, he. What do you think when it comes to GMs in the league? Like no, Uji- we can we, Ujiri. We can be wrong when we're negative, and we can be wrong when we're positive. We're we're diverse podcasters. For sure, but I, but what do you think? Best GMs in the league, like Ujiri. Yeah. Ainge, yeah. No, he has Ainge, Presti. Presti. When he's not forced to avoid the luxury tax, Riley. Yeah. Uh, when he when he's not giving out twenty million dollars to bad players that one summer, but Daryl Morey is one of the five or six best GMs in the league. Sure. And yep. 
I think we've talked about this a lot. Like when Doc Rivers got hired, we said, okay, he's, he's just a coach. He might be a good coach. He might be the right coach for the Sixers team. But there's only so much a coach can do because it's about the players on the floor. Well, now you have somebody who is A, proven for a long time that he is creative and B, kind of forward thinking in picking those players on the floor. And there's just, um, there's no way around it. Like the order is pretty weird, the order of events. I think uh, it will be interesting to see how Maury interacts with everybody and if he requires different lieutenants to come in and all of those things. But the idea of the Sixers hiring Daryl Morey, it's, I mean, it seems like a slam dunk. It's a great hire. If you would have said before the offseason that the Sixers would walk away with Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, Peter Dinwiddie, after you do the research on who he is. Yeah, I would have been like, who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> Prosper Karangwa, uh, Dave Yeager. It would have been a... a pre- Sam Cassell. And Sam Cassell, yep. Sam Cassell hired as an assistant as well. It would have been a pretty good summer. Dan and, Dan you know, Burke, when yep. when you watch the YouTube <laughs> video of him saying how much he hates the team. I always took that. that that's sort of how you want an opponent to feel about your team. Like I took that as a sign of endearment almost. Um, it is funny that Joel Embiid retweeted or tweeted about that. Uh, but yeah, no, if you would have just laid out those names and sort of the roles they have been put in in this organization, you would have said, hey, that's a great outcome. And we can get sidetracked in the unorthodox path they took to get here. And look, maybe maybe some of this is that they knew back in, you know, there was a report from Sam Amick that Maury knew of his decision a month before it was announced. Maybe they knew in mid-September that they were going to get Maury. Maybe um, maybe that comes out. Who knows? And, and maybe and, all of these moves were made because um, you couldn't announce it because it's still with the team, but you just knew. And that might tie it all together a little bit. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and to add to that too, I mean, Josh Harris, Shams reported on uh, on The Athletic that uh, that Josh Harris went after Daryl Morey like hours after he was let go in Houston. So, right. you know, whether that was just a matter of him pouncing on an unforeseen opportunity or something he was waiting for, um, you know, it's clear, it, it seems clear that while they were hiring these assistant GMs and all of these things, they uh, they, they wanted Daryl Moore. It's, it's weird. The end result is good. Um, you know, you give the Sixers, and look, we haven't always been the most positive about Sixers ownership and management, but for them to act so decisively, and look, two things. First of all, there's a lot of financial uncertainty with the NBA, and the Sixers spent a lot of money, I'm sure, to bring in both Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey. They put the resources behind this team. And, you know, when I had sort of, when Daryl came, became available a little under two weeks ago, you know, I dug around and the general gist I got was that there, a lot of the NBA teams are going to be hesitant to go after Daryl because of what happened with Hong Kong and the potential financial ramifications of hiring him. And sort of secondhand information I got, not primary, so I never really reported it, was that they questioned whether the Sixers ownership group would be the one to sort of take that gamble, would be the one to take that hit and put themselves out there on the ledge to come under that scrutiny. And look, what the Sixers ended up doing, I give them a lot of credit for. I don't think like, I don't think the financial, the short-term financial hit of whatever happens uh, with the Chinese market should influence your decision. Because if you hire a GM who sets you up for a decade of success, 
that will always lead to the, the best financial outcome than worrying about that short-term revenue hit. But like, this is the kind of thing that scares a lot of owners away. And you have to have conviction to take the steps. And I give Josh, and look, conviction isn't necessarily something I would normally attribute to Josh Harris running this basketball team. Like, it seems like they ebb and flow based on the wind a lot of times. But I think they took a really good step here. I think they took a really decisive step. And I give them credit for these series of events here this summer. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager i'm with you yeah they uh they paid up for both the head coach and the uh and the general manager and i i have to imagine you know five years in in one sense but also i'm sure that is is quite a chunk of change per year for for both doc and and maury yeah it's uh the the sixers obviously there's no salary cap on how much you can pay your staff and during you know during the pandemic when you know you would think that a lot of teams are going to skimp on their coaches and are going to try and hire first-year coaches um I, i think you might see that with Daryl Morey's old team, potentially, which oh, Tillman for Tita cheap. Yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> well. I mean, cheap and kind of broke too. So, so for Josh Harris and and Blitzer to uh, to step up, this is where uh, their uh, their financial muscle came into play here, and it's uh, yeah. I, I look, man. I, I think the organization that they have moving forward for so long now, like. Even when Embiid and Simmons would 10 times a year just play this great game that would make everybody feel good. You know, you'd have your Christmas Day against the Bucks. You'd have um, Ben Simmons against the Lakers at home. The Clippers game this year. Whatever. Even in a year where the team kind of sucked. Um, you still had games where you would feel pretty good about this team. But to be fair, like... It, there was a lot of things with this organization. It felt like there was a lack of direction. There was a lack of purpose. Like you said, Josh Harris, like just not every decision that was made didn't feel very decisive. And that was clearly the result of this weird 
collaborative power structure where you know, a lot of voices in the room, you know, it's unclear who the, uh, who the buck stopped with. You don't have that anymore for the first time in a while. Like you can say, all right, Daryl Morey, if he accepted this job, he's going to have the final say. And, and the track record of Daryl Morey having the final say is a good thing. Um, obviously he's still walking into a situation where not a lot of assets, couple terrible contracts, but in terms of like somebody who you want to be creative and wheel and deal to get out of the tough situation that the Sixers find themselves in, I, I, I struggle to think of somebody who was better qualified to do that. I got to admit, I don't entirely know everything you just said because I'm watching Max Rappaport, our old friend, old podcast co-host, Max Rappaport, get into a Twitter beef with Michael Beasley. Hmm. About what? <laughs> Politics. Um, mm. Just not something you... Uh, what a day. Um, anyway. I said there's hope for the first time I, in yeah, a long no, time. There's now. hope. There's hope. Uh, uh, this is a, a, a franchise which, you know, I think Josh Harris, when he's at his best, he hires somebody he trusts, him and management get the F out of the way, and they empower them to do their job. By the way, I think that's how every owner is at their best. But 100%. But yes. And that hasn't always happened here. And I think the leadership void at the top sort of allowed that or was a byproduct of that, some combination of both, allowed that to happen. And like you said, the collaborative front office, collaboration isn't a problem. Every good executive, every good leader collaborates. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to make the decision. Somebody's got to know who to, whose opinion to value. Somebody has to set the direction of the franchise. And that's really what you're doing as a GM. You're setting a direction and you're taking input from all of your sort of sources. Not sources like reporter sources, but sources like internal sources. And Daryl Morey has proven that he can do that. He's proven that he can do that creatively. He's proven that he can push the envelope to... I mean, you talked about analytics and the three-point revolution. The last time Houston Rockets didn't lead the league in three-pointers attempted, Tony DeLeo was the Sixers' GM. Like, it's that long ago. To lead it year after year after year, it's not just a commitment to the three-point shot. Mm. It's a holy bleep. This is completely undervalued. Let's let's push it to the extreme. Also, in all of the last eight years, they are last in the league in mid-range shots as well. Yeah. And Every a lot one of, of that, obviously. Not second, not, not third, not fourth. Yep. And that's because James Harden kind of, uh, do you think James Harden could even shoot a mid-range shot? Like if he tried, <laughs> like he's forgotten. Yeah. Like I'm not sure he has the muscle memory to be able to do it. You know, like he would, uh, <laughs> he'd like throw it off the side of the backboard and have zero touch. If he tried to shoot just a, a normal, like a JJ Redick off a screen mid-range jumper. I don't think he has that in his back. Maybe look, a lot of, a lot of those numbers you cited come down to the fact that they have James Harden. But a lot of it comes down to Daryl Morey and what he was looking to set, too. Like, James Harden, he wasn't always shooting 30-foot step-back three-pointers. Like, that is something that he has added to his game. That is something he's been pushed to add to his game. And good or bad, it's created some... I mean, Harden is probably the best offensive player, certainly the best scorer in the game. And I think when you look back, you know, obviously Daryl Morey's... I th what I think is really interesting is... And, and we mentioned this on the other pod... But for them to have the second best record in the NBA, that comes during a span when they lost Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming really within about a year of each other. They went from superstars to pretty much out of the NBA as effective players because of McGrady had knee injuries and then Yao had the, the navicular bone in his foot. 
And they went there and they got back to contention without ever going below 500. It was really remarkable. And look, we don't need to relitigate that. Uh, we talked about that a lot when Sam Hinkie got hired because he was part of the you know brain trust, which engineered all of those trades and those moves. But there is a, a creativity and a vision and a um, thoughtfulness that goes into everything Daryl Morey does. And is he going to, is every move, every direction going to be a success? No, of course not. He's still, he's still human. He's going to make mistakes, but he has shown a willingness to pivot out of those. And he has shown a creativity in getting himself out of a bad spot. And it will be real interesting to see what he does, you know, around a team that doesn't really play his style of play around superstars who don't really mesh with what you have seen from him recently. And I guess we'll probably get into that next, although we could probably say that for a future pod too. Um, and contracts that are quite frankly an abomination and how he maneuvers that it will be. I mean, the Sixers just got a heck of a lot more interesting to cover, heck of a lot more interesting to be a fan of. And, you know, I think if you were worried about the direction and the aimlessness of this team, I think you've gotten a shot in the arm now. Absolutely. I, I guess I, I want to talk about the players a little bit and, I would say that, you know, you know the, the first thing you heard on Twitter was, oh, well, see you, Ben Simmons, pack your bags. Or uh, Joel Embiid, I, I don't know how that's going to work. You know, post up basketball for a guy who just didn't have a center. Um, and while, like, yeah, it's it's definitely true that the Rockets played a much different style than both of those guys played, when you look at Daryl Morey's career, and, and he, he passed this on to Sam Hinkie as well, you know, for all the analytics talk and, and as smart as those guys are in terms of just crunching numbers and trying to find undervalued players via statistical analysis, those guys will literally tell you, you need like three stars. That's what you need. And they will say it exactly that way. And if you look at Daryl Morey's career, the pursuit of star players has been probably the, the biggest part. You know, he's been accused of not caring about chemistry in order to get star players like Chris Paul and James Harden. Nobody knew how that would work. By the way, Chris Paul might be available via trade uh, in, in a few uh, in a few weeks here. Just just saying. And also, by the way, if I uh, if I remember correctly, I heard I think it was Tim McMahon on an ESPN podcast who said that for the Russell Westbrook trade, Daryl Morey was not behind that one. That was and that was by far the worst move of his tenure. Yeah, and that was James Harden and Tillman Fertitta, apparently. So even that one, it seems like he has kind of reasonable cover where Harden was not loving playing with Chris Paul, but you know they clearly made the wrong move there. He, uh, yeah, I think that's a good move. But yeah, so basically, what I would say is with Ben Simmons, who by the way. He doesn't shoot threes, and look, he's going going to have to do that regardless of who his general manager is at some point. He sure creates a shitload of them, though, you know, yep. with uh, with off-the-dribble shooting. It's not like uh, he's like a, a player who's in love with the mid-range either. I said that stat earlier. And uh, and Joel Embiid, yeah, I, the, the level of talent that he has. And, you know, before this year, they had Clint Capella. You know, they, they had Yao Ming a long time ago. It's not like he hasn't had... Any centers, he's he's done a good job of of winning with maybe some undervalued centers. I remember Chuck Hayes back in the back in the day was a uh, kind of an unorthodox one who was a uh, an on off monster. But but I would just say that like 
don't go into this with any preconceived notions about what he wants and what he doesn't. Because I, I could easily see him looking at the Sixers situation saying, okay, this is a lot different than what I had in Harden. I don't have the strength of the offense all unto itself with the uh, with the step-back three-pointer. But what I have here is some defensive versatility. I have an anchor and Embiid. He could look at this and try and build with those two guys. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. You know, that, like the idea of, of fresh eyes coming in here and saying, all right, we, we, we're going to have to move one of these guys. I don't want to say it's impossible, but uh, the idea that he's going to ship either of them because they don't, shoot a million threes, I think would be uh that would be a little short sighted. I think there there's definitely a chance that uh that he tries and builds builds uh this thing around them. Yeah, I mean look, I think what you said about the pursuit like the defining thing of Daryl Morey's career, obviously there's analytics and a three point shot, but also the dogged pursuit of superstars. And for him to inherit two stars, I don't want to call them superstars yet, two stars, and say, yeah, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go trade you for a bunch of pieces that fit. Like, that pretty much goes against everything that um that he's done up to this point in his career. Um, like you said, it's probably best to go into this not assuming anything. But I think it's more complicated than, no, oh, man, Ben Simmons doesn't shoot. Got to get him out of here. I, We'll see. We'll see. Um it will be, I mean, it'll be, it'll be fascinating. It, it really, uh, for a, um, organization that had so much uncertainty and so much pessimism around it, just having a clear focus and experience and a direction, it is, a a very different team than the one we covered just two months ago. Very different. And, and yet all the players are the same, obviously they can't change yet. As somebody who just employed Robert Covington at center, I do think like the first time he throws on some film of that team last year, he might. Like get the shakes or something like that. Just oh, with that, sure. With that sure. spacing. By the way, the I Sixers. I don't think he would have spent one hundred nine million on a backup center if that's what you're asking. No, no, he wouldn't have. Maybe he'll try and pawn off Al Horford on Houston. You know, like, hey guys, you guys need a center. I mean, I was going to trade for him anyway, and maybe I don't know who they who they would get back. But uh, I, I do think that uh, like the Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, mid range fest might uh. That might get curtailed a little bit with uh, yeah with this Josh, crew. Although it's yeah. it's so funny though that they have like this GM and coach who have never worked together when they were both the head. You know, like okay, Daryl was an assistant GM in Boston. Like, is it is it Daryl Morey style of play? Is it Doc Rivers style of play? That's uh that's pretty interesting. What here's a question for you: What do you think this means for Elton Brand? It's a great question. I mean, look, he's got three years left on his contract. I think the Sixers will keep him around as part of the organization. It's a, it's a weird spot for him. It, I mean, it was a weird spot when they hired him to be the front-facing GM. It was a weird spot when they talked about elevating him beyond his previous role. And it's a weird spot for him now when they hire his, you know, essentially his boss. It was interesting that Josh Harris didn't speak to the media when they fired Brett Brown. You know, it was, you figure he has to speak now, but you wonder, I mean, Elton did drop that line where he said like, you know, if the right person becomes available, we'll, uh, you know, we'll consider everything. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a really weird spot. He said a couple years ago, I forget 
where this was, so I'm sorry for not attributing this. Might have been on any, another ESPN podcast of some sort. Might have been Zach Lowe or something. Where he was on record talking about the Sixers' pursuit of Maury in 2018. Now, he didn't mention it specifically. But, you know, this was right after he got the job, and it was such a surprise at that point. And he made the point that, like, during the summer, the Sixers had reached out to, you know, these established general managers. And if I remember correctly, the thing he said at that point was like, look, like, if you can get these people, go get them. But but none of them said yes at this point. So, you know, maybe he feels like he can learn under Maury a little bit. Maybe he feels that uh, the pressure can get taken off him for a couple years. I mean, you know, if he still wants to work in basketball, he is, I mean, is he 40 years? He's 40 years old at this point. Like yeah, he's got... No, he's- He's got plenty of time to, you know, advance again and run his own team. But yeah, it's got to be weird, right? Like you ran the whole offseason and now you're number two and you're also bringing in somebody who's like, you know, when they brought him in, everybody knew who, who he was, right? Like he's he's the guy who was working for our G League team and helping out with the draft a little bit. This guy, This guy comes in from Houston with a big reputation, a long uh, list of accomplishments. It's got to be a little bit weird for him. He is 41. He is three years older than me. What the hell am I doing with my life? Um, By the way, like I think it would be a great thing if he wants to stay and be the number two general manager. I think that would be fantastic for the Sixers because Elton is yeah. well-liked by like all these agents. Um, you know, Having somebody who's a good communicator and you know able to just – reach around the league because, you know, Daryl is the guy who calls every team with like 30 trades, apparently. Um, yeah. You know, and somebody who built a good relationship with Joe Embiid as well. I, I think that would certainly be a positive if he would, uh, if he would stay around. And, you know, if we're being honest here for somebody who's been an executive for what, three years now, yep, probably the right spot for him probably the right spot. I almost wonder if the path he took to get here won't hurt him because no matter what happened over the last two years, internally, externally, like those moves are held against him. And now you hire Daryl and any moves that are made that turn out well, Daryl's going to get credit for. Like, I think it will always be seen. And again, since the power structure was so murky, you don't really know, but it'll always be seen as Daryl Morey came in here to fix up the mess of the inexperienced GM. And regardless of how much truth there is to that and how much, you know, the mistakes were made by the collaborative group, that's how it will be seen externally. It's a tough spot for him to be in. Yeah. Um, and this is something like, look, I know we've been critical of the Sixers and the power structure and, and Elton Brand. Most of that criticism came from the fact that they empowered a, a, a general manager with one year of executive experience. It's always been a tough spot to put Elton in. I'm not sure this is... A, too much of an easier spot. I think it's the right spot for him to be in to sort of have this apprenticeship under somebody who is so experienced. I just think the path they took to get here might hurt a uh, hurt his reputation in the long run. And maybe like, like let's say he stays here for five years and the Sixers win a championship and like, maybe it can be rehabilitated and people can sort of forget the spot the Sixers initially put him in. But I, I sort of wish I would have taken a more conventional approach in 2018 to get Elton to this spot here today. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I would hope that, you know, if they have success over the next couple of years, that uh, 
that run of bad moves won't be completely held against him because it's not fair. Like he, he said it like it was, there was a bunch of different voices there. I, I agree with you. It's, it's a tricky spot and I will be curious to see how he and, uh, he and Maury interact together, but it's, it has to feel weird. Like you ran the front off or ran the off season. And then at the very end, you have to, uh, you have to give up the keys and it's, uh, it's a little bit tough. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, they have a lot of people in their front office now, huh? They, they do. Although apparently, uh, I think it was according to Keith Pompey, Alex Rucker will be leaving. There is going to be a transitionary period that has been clearly defined, but he is leaving. Ned Cohen is still remaining. So essentially you've lost um, Alex Rucker. You've lost Mark Eversley, who left for the Bulls back in, geez, what was that? Like May or something like that? Something like Long that. time ago, but really no decisions have been made since then. And you've lost Phil Jabor. And you've brought in Daryl Morey, Peter Dinwiddie, and um, Prosper Karangwa. So I guess it's about the same as it previously was. Yeah, I guess. This is a... Think of all the experiences. And one thing I said about the previous front office, everybody was at sort of a role they've never filled before. Whether that's Ned Cohen coming from the league office to be assistant GM, Alex Rucker going from director of analytics to what executive vice president of basketball operations, Mark Eversley being promoted. Like there, everyone in that organization was fulfilling a role that was at the peak of their career arc or at the peak up to that time, a role they had never filled before. Uh, and then you had outside influences from the business side and it just created a, a mess. I mean, Elton Brand obviously filling a role he had never filled before. Now you look at it and there's experience all around um, from Daryl Morey, who's been an NBA executive, a lead NBA executive for 13 years. Doc Rivers, who's been a head NBA coach for 21 years. Dave Yeager, who's now in a, a role where he was previously at, you know, eight years ago and then spent eight years or six years, uh, something like six years as a head NBA coach. Sam Cassell, who's been an assistant coach for a long time now, since 2009. You have a lot of experience on this staff, whereas previously you really didn't. And it's a, it's a whole new look Sixers. It's a whole new look front office and coaching staff. You know, I think they, they, I think they have quitted themselves well this off season, which when this off season started, I don't think was something I expected to be saying. Yeah. It's, it's an impressive front office and uh coaching combination. Yeah. They're uh, they, they do have their work cut out for, or Daryl and specifically has his work cut out for him. Considering we have a, uh, a draft in what, like three weeks from today. Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks. Yep. And then a free agency pretty much. Right. Uh, well, I not sure if this has been set in stone, but, like there's reports that could happen a couple days after free or the draft. So there's a lot to happen. Um, and they still haven't like the players association hasn't agreed on the start date. I read a report. I forget who it was from. So I apologize that a lot of the players are pushing for more of like an MLK day, sort of mid January start rather than the December 22nd start that had been floated out by the league. So I think like some of these, it's such a weird offseason. I don't know when anything's going to happen. No. Can a, I don't know. We'll see. The, but yeah, he will have to get on the job quickly. And I made a little bit of a, a mention of this earlier, and I, I don't want you to go on a 10-minute rant about this because you, you can You can sometimes. I'm going to break it to you. Um, the idea that uh, Elton said we need more basketball people and uh, 
analytics were kind of the boogeyman for uh, for this team. Not not quite when you hired Daryl Morey. I'll just I'll just put it that way. Yeah, you almost wonder if maybe Elton Brand's assessment with um, where the Sixers were at and the ownership's assessment of where the Sixers at were at were not necessarily aligned with the with those comments. Yeah. Also, it could just be that the Sixers ownership was so enamored with Daryl Morey. Maybe they weren't looking for an analytics person. But I mean, look, what a top five, top six executive becomes available. Like, it's just not a, you just say, well, we're not hiring because he has an analytics background. We're hiring him because he's a really good fucking NBA executive. And I think yeah. probably if you asked Daryl Morey that, he'd probably say that's how he'd like to be viewed anyway. But yeah, it is, uh, it is an interesting contrast for sure. Yeah. And, and you're right. Of the top five or six GMs, they just happen to, uh, to hire the one with the analytics background. And I would imagine somebody who can kind of speak their language, you know, private sure. equity guys. I think, you know, you would hope that they would hire any of those top five or six general managers, executives. I think they have shown in the past that maybe they have poked around for a few of them too, but certainly a good fit there. And certainly for, uh, you know, guys, guys who like to trade stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure Daryl will fill their, uh, fill, fill that up, fill that need up for them. So, yeah, I mean, look, it is, it is, I mean, look, look at the names of the GMs that we mentioned. Sam Presti hasn't changed teams in a pretty much since he's been a GM. It has been since he's been a GM. Danny Ainge, not exactly changing teams anytime soon. These guys do not become available. And going Masa- back to Masai Ujiri, we- he got hired from from one team. Yeah. It's not like he got fired; like he's been running a basketball team for over a decade too. And yep. you know, when you hear he might change teams again, it's like, will they give him an ownership stake type of thing? So, yeah, you're right. Like the the top like GMs the in the league don't fire RC and Pop. Like that doesn't happen. No, no. You you, you go all the way down the list. Once you get to this level. These people rarely become available, and this was kind of a weird situation where the Rockets, they're a little bit at the end of their rope. You mentioned the Hong Kong thing. Fertitta seems like kind of a wild card as an owner. I'd, I'd love to know what, what happened behind the scenes there, although there's been some good reporting on that, with uh, especially from Kelly Eco and Sam Amick at The Athletic. But you know, you could tell that wasn't the most stable situation in the world. So... You know, this was the moment, like you said, to pounce and to Harris and Blitzer's credit, they did that. Daryl Morey, not only sticks up for a good humanitarian cause, but gives hope to Philadelphia basketball fans. What a guy. Yeah, it is a it is a <laughs> weird situation where, like, you had a super cheap owner with a volatile sort of um, world situation and a GM who made a mistake. And if all of that isn't true, Daryl Morey is not the Sixers GM. I mean, it just goes back to like, this was a unique circumstance, a a, a chance to get a guy who doesn't really become available with a job that he was interested in. Like I said, give a, give Sixers owners credit for sure. It's, it it does go to show too, you know, coming into this off season, we viewed the Sixers as just like, man, this is not a great situation to be walking into for anybody, whether player, executive, coach, like, like whatever, like this is, you know, a capped out roster that was the number six team in the East. And to be fair, like, I'm sure they paid them a lot of money and that talks, but now you have Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey who right away said yes to that, uh, 
this organization. And like I said, when they hired Doc Rivers, like that's a pretty good feeling. Like, I, I don't know what that means in terms of them turning things around. They're going to have to obviously get everything right. Daryl in the off season doc during the season. But uh, yeah, it's, they're two pretty feel good hires. And uh, even, uh, even us curmudgeons can say that. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, they, with the Doc Rivers situation, it's a little bit easier to attract a coach because there just aren't that many of them that come up every year. And the ones that do come up usually aren't in a great spot. Uh, there were more coaching opportunities available this year than normal. But the Sixers, I mean, not many head coaches can walk into a team that will win 50 games next year. Well, uh, whatever percentage of 50 games will will play. Sure. That, that, um, that would be like 90 wins maybe or 90% of the wins. No, yeah. I'm kidding. But for a, a, a GM, like how many other te- teams would move on from their GM to hire Daryl Morey? Like it feels like it took a little more selling from the Sixers perspective to get someone like Morey than it would have with Doc. And when you look at it from Morey's perspective, you know, I'm sure he views it as this is a team with two relatively young stars, not as young as they used to be, but relatively young stars. I can fix everything else. I can move on from the bad contracts. I can re, you know, replenish the assets. I can make trades to get us back to where we need to be. But those two guys and Beaton Simmons, that's the hardest thing to acquire in this sport. And if you would go back to the podcast that we did, you know, seven years ago, were you doing podcasts seven years ago? You and me? I think we were doing podcasts seven years ago. Maybe. Never I know. I forget when we started. <laughs> it's been at least five or six. Did we start before Hinky? Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you would go back to the podcast we did a while ago, before the Sixers had an established star, we would have been saying that exact same thing. The entire team building of this sport is about getting stars. You can make the moves around them after that. And I think from Maury's perspective, the Sixers have those two pieces. You know, maybe they don't fit. Maybe you have to use them to get other stars that do fit. But you at least have that starting point. You at least have that value across the league where you can make those moves. It's a, uh, he will, he will not be boring. He will change everything. And look, I mean, at times we have said that maybe the amount of moves the Sixers have made around Embiid and Simmons has hurt, like changing the entire starting lineup around them pretty much every year. Stuff to build some chemistry and cohesion. Daryl's not the one who, if it's not working, is going to stick with it just to build chemistry. Like he is going to change around the edges to find the fit that works. And uh, we will be entertained as Sixers fans, I think. That is a good point. He has never had, I mean, I, I didn't love watching this Houston teams play basketball, but in terms of how he built them, they were certainly always entertaining. The uh, The East Coast comment by Fertitta was probably a giveaway. Like, if you look at it, the Celtics, they're probably not changing GMs anytime soon. The Knicks, why would you want to work for them? Um the Nets, yeah, I mean, may- maybe that would have been the one. The Wizards, yeah, felt like this was a spot, and and, and yeah. may- maybe this was in the works for a while. Maybe this is the the new challenge, and this will reinvigorate him after being in Houston for close to fifteen years at this point. Um, but yeah, all right, I think uh, I think that is probably a good enough place to cut it off here. Uh, we will. Have a lot more to talk about here as things become official and as we get more information. And also the draft that's less than three weeks away. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on for the second time tonight. And we will talk to you soon. Hopefully not a matter of like three hours soon, but soon nonetheless. All right, man. See you.